We're thrilled to be able to welcome to our pulpit this morning Dr. Jim Cofield. Jim is a husband, father of two sons. He works at Reformed Theological Seminary where he is the professor of counseling. He's also the clinical director of their program, their master's program, which trains counselors and therapists to um, enter deeply into the hearts and lives of others. Jim is a friend of Orangewood. He has ministered deeply to us over the years and to the family, both as individuals and as a congregation. Jim, we welcome you to Orangewood this morning. Thank you for coming and opening God's Word. It's good to be here this morning. What a song. Did you just catch the words? Did, if, help me with the, 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 that last lyric. Better than a breaking heart... The sound of a breaking heart better than a hallelujah. Uh, what a beautiful mess. I think I just put them in the wrong order, but that's why my son's a musician and I'm not. I kind of put the words in the wrong order. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. This morning it is a privilege to be here. Usually I come at the end of a series. Usually I would come and be invited to the beginning of a series so that I mess it up so much that it takes the pastor months to clean it up. It, but uh, Jeff, in, in, in his... Uh, in his, his courage to, uh, to, to try new things, decided to let me come at the end of a series on, on Peter. And we're going to talk a little bit about Peter today. But before we look at the Word of God together and before we talk about Peter together, um, before we talk about what God may be about in our lives this day, could, could we talk to him? Let, let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you that you do hear... Um, the breaking of our hearts, also the joy of our hearts. Father, I thank you that, that we can, because of who you are, we know that there is no one here by accident this morning. Because of who you are, we know that your purposeful plan is being lived out and that, that we are all here by your design. And so, Father, you know the families that are just hanging on. You know the you know the, the families that are disagreeing. You know the economic struggles people are in. You know the relational struggles that people are in. You know the cheating. You know the lying. You know every detail of all of our lives in this room. And no one's a mystery to you here. And you've called us here together to change us. You've called us here to meet us. You've called us here to make us more like you, to reflect your glory and purpose. Father, would you do that this morning somehow? Father, would your spirit blow through here like a mighty wind and change us all, for we need that. Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you disrupt them this morning? For the people that are too disrupted, would you comfort them? Father, we pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I know many of you well enough to know that you know that I have absolutely no social skills, and uh, my, my oldest son is autistic, and some of you have heard some stories about the, him, and, and a lot of times we, we, we will blame his lack of social skills on his autism, but it's probably just because he's been my son. But the other day, uh, it, it's amazing what names people call people by. In a few moments, we'll be talking about Peter's name, the rock, and what that means, and, and then how he calls you rocks, living stones, is what he says in First Peter. And we're going to look at that. Before we do, just a quick thought of how silly we sometimes call one another by name or the names we use for one another. Skylar was at his favorite restaurant the other day. It's really not a restroom. It's really a public, it's really not a, a 
It's really not a restaurant. It's a restroom. It's a public restroom that serves waffles. Waffle House. Maybe you've been there. You walk in the room and you can feel the grease, feel the hardening of your arteries. For years, I just told my boys that Waffle House was a man's restaurant because my wife wouldn't go. And but, um, but because he gets obsessed with things, that's his favorite restaurant. You can say to him at 21 years old, you can say, where would you like to eat? You can go anywhere you want. And uh, we're talking, Ruth Chris, we're talking anywhere. And it's Waffle House. And so uh, I spent many a night at Waffle House. Um, just so happened this past week, it was Mona's turn. And she was at Waffle House with Skylar. And there was a man there with a, with a turban on. And so Skylar, having no social skills, sitting around in Waffle House, says, what's that? And so Mona says, well, he's Muslim. And Skylar then says, what's that? And so Mona decided that this was a good opportunity. And so she said, well, he doesn't, um, he's someone who doesn't believe in our God. And that seemed to be, and so then Skylar said, does he believe in Satan? And so Mona decided, I need to go another way here. He doesn't believe in Jesus. And so Skylar then calls the person Osama. (laughs) Not a good moment at the Waffle House. They're getting a little tense around the waffle iron. (laughs) Skylar calls him Osama and then pulls out his little Nerf gun. He had a little Nerf gun with him. And he said to Mona, I'll hold this on him. You tell him about Jesus. (laughs) I'd love to tell you that the story then went on that we held the gun on him and told him about Jesus, but... We decided that probably wasn't a good idea, or Mona decided that. Um, it's funny what you call people, the names that you call people. It, in our culture, a name is just, I mean, we, we, think of names based on, we think of names based on what sounds good with a last name. And we get baby books, and we go through those. But in Hebrew, a name really means something. It's an idea, it's an identity. And, and people in, in, the, in ancient times, people, in, he, people in, in biblical times, a name would be something you'd live up to or you'd live down to, depending on what that name was. A name defined you. Matter of fact, one of the, the Bible ends with, us say, say, with God saying that we have our name written on a, on a white stone. It's a name that's secret, that's only known to him, because a name means that I give authority. And it's secret because no one else, once, once Jesus names you, no one can rename you. No one can change your identity. The the reality is a name in Hebrew is kind of your identity. And all through Scripture, you'll find people's names changing. Uh, Because God wants to make a point that what he changes... uh, I'll try not to fall down for the rest of our time. Uh, My name is Clumsy, by the way. And I'm trying to live to that name. (laughs) It is... It is funny, when I was a kid growing up, this, is, this has nothing to do with our sermon, but neither did almost falling off of here. When I was a kid, my mother used to always say, you have weak ankles, which I'm not even sure what that meant, but what it always meant that whenever I fell down, that was a reason. Um, we tend to live to our names, do we not? So the, the idea of a name, the idea of a name that it actually gives your authority is, is given, and, and, and what, what changes when you become a Christian is our identity, our name, our very essence. We're defined differently in the sense by God. And throughout Scripture, God changes names. God made Abram Abraham. 
Saul becomes Paul. And Simon became Peter. That's really interesting. When in crisis, you will become faithful to the images that you carry of yourself. When you're in crisis, you'll live to your name. You'll think about the images that you carry, the name that you have. And Peter's name, Rock. The Rock. Wasn't going to be called Simon, the Rock. Now, so often Peter is is presented as kind of the bumbling fool who loves Jesus. You know, who didn't follow through or had trouble following through. And even as we look at his life, he, Paul had to call him out because he, he treated the, the, the Gentile Christians differently when the Jewish Christians were around. And Paul actually had to call him out in Galatians for him essentially denying Christ again in his life. And you've got Peter, the rock. And we've got so many stories of Peter. But to end our time talking about Peter over the last few weeks, I thought we'd look at what he says in 1 Peter, in his epistles. Now, if I had been Peter, I'd have just told stories because he had stories to tell. There were so many grand stories of Peter with our Savior, Jesus. But he was writing to a very specific audience that was struggling and suffering. First and Second Peter are both written to a struggling and suffering group. And so there's so much we can learn about, about struggle, about suffering, about life, about Peter, about ourselves, but mostly about God, by looking at this at First Peter. Now, um, if I could, the uh, the passage that we're going to spend most of our time on is that amazing passage where Peter. It's in the second chapter of of First Peter. Verse 4, let me just read that to you. I'm going to read all the way through verse 10. So just kind of stay with me. Verse 4 through 10 in in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices Acceptable God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the capstone and and a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall, a stumble because they disobey the message. Which is also what they were destined for. Listen to this, this next two verses, and then we'll discuss these things together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises to him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is interesting to me that Peter, when talking to people that were suffering, people that were struggling, actually used the same metaphor that Jesus used for him. It says, you're living stones. Now, let's, let's do a quick 10,000 10, feet above sea level 
run through of first, of first Peter. Now, the reason I really want to do that is not that it would be that helpful, but because I want you to be able to tell Jeff Jakes that I did an entire book of the Bible when he comes back. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm really wanting, I mean, not only am I trying to really mess him up in terms of really give heresy that he's got to clean up for weeks and weeks and weeks, but then what I want you to do is say, you know, Cofield did an entire book of the Bible. But obviously we can't, this is such so rich that we can't, we won't, do the, we won't do much justice. But what it might do is it might get you to read First Peter this week. Well, that'd be a great way for you to spend some time studying this week. What a rich, rich place to spend. Now, if you'll remember, the context is Peter is writing to people that are suffering, that are struggling, that are being persecuted. They're being persecuted. And in that persecution, he begins... Um, he begins, at, at, he begins in, in the, at the very beginning of the book and, and basically talks in, chap, in, in verse, chapter 1, verses 3 through 13 about losing perspective and, and that you have your salvation. Because, you know, when you're suffering, you tend to lose your perspective. When you get lost in your, in your struggles, you tend to lose perspective. The next thing he talks about, um, he talks about behavior and holy behavior. Because when you're struggling... What tends to happen when you struggle is it, depends, it begins to become an excuse for behaving any way you want. When, when times are tough, sometimes I start feeling entitled. When I feel like things aren't going my way or that God's not paying attention, I start to feel entitled and I start to say, well, God owes me or life owes me or I get my way or I want my... And so there's a section after, after Peter reminds the people that are suffering about their perspective of who God is. The next thing he does is he, he recalls him to living uh, in a proper behavior because he knows that when we struggle, when we suffer, when we are persecuted, when it isn't going the way we'd hoped it would go, when we find ourselves in a story that we had, would have chosen a different chapter than we're in, when we find ourselves in circumstances that aren't going quite the way we want, we tend to give ourselves excuses for our behavior to be anything we want. At least I do. I guess he's speaking to the people in that way as well. Next, there's just the basics. To fear God, verses 17 through 20. Mutual love, verses 22 through 23. And then there's a section that we just talked about, which I think is really the, really the, the entire book turns on this one section where it talks about that we are living stones, a royal priesthood. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Then it talks about suffering. It talks about suffering. And it's interesting that when it talks about suffering, it talks about relationships. It is often when we struggle that our relationships struggle the most. It specifically talks about relationships with civil authorities, talks about relationships in general, and then it specifically talks about relationships in the household, husbands, wives, children. It talks about the way, because God knows that when we struggle, when we suffer, when things aren't going the way we would hope they'd be, when life doesn't seem to make sense to us, when the chapter that we're living in doesn't seem to fit the conclusion that we'd hoped for, or it doesn't seem to fit with the past that we have, when the dots don't seem to be connected, when this dot seems to be separated from this one and there doesn't seem any hope that it could be connected to the next, it's in those moments that often our relationships are most, most in trouble. And so there's a section about people that are suffering, people that are struggling. First, know who you are. Know, 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 you, know who God is. Be aware of your doubts. Be aware of your behavior. 
oh, understand who you are. That's the section we'll spend most of our time on. And then it goes, then it goes on and talks about relationships and the issue of, of relationships. That's, that's chapters 2, 11, 12 through chapters 3 through 12. Um, and then it just talks about suffering. I would suggest that this talks about, the, the last section of this talks about suffering with purpose. Suffering with purpose. That there's, that, that we're suffering with Christ, and then it talks about suffering with one another, and it talks about um, suffering with elders, and de- there's, a, there's a way in which it's about the way that suffering lives out, struggles live out. So it's an incredibly practical book. Peter chooses to, to teach us about how we're, to, how we're to enter into the life that is struggling. When life becomes messy, when things don't make sense. But I really do believe that this book, this letter, this letter from our, our friend Peter turns in the section we're going to spend just a few minutes on tonight, today. And it's a section that I've read you from the second chapter. First of all, notice it says, as you come to him, the living stone, as you come to him. So much of our Christian life, we, liked, we don't like the way that song was written. We want to say, I used to be broken, but now everything's fine. I used to be blind, but now I completely see. We don't like to talk about the process of coming, coming to him. But the, the, the idea in this, in this section is not that you've already arrived, but as you're coming to, as you're coming, so much of the Christian life is as you come to him. Come to him. Come to him. That when, you're, when you're struggling and you're suffering, what do you tend to do? You tend to turn your back and, and go and try to make things on your own. You try to decide, here, I can make my life work. I, I don't need God's plan. My way will work just fine. I don't need... And so you begin to... When you're struggling and you're weary and you're tired, you begin to say, I just don't think I'll trust him. I'll trust me. I think I'll just trust me with this. So this first section is just the, 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 the reminder that as you come to him, as you come to him, um, Spurgeon, I, I always try to look up what he says about anything that you speak about. He's such a scholar. And he probably has four sermons just on that, that beginning phrase, as you come, as you come. The Christian life, as you come to him. Are you coming to him right now in your life? It's present tense, it's, it's moving forward, it's are you presently coming to him? No, not did you come to him in the past, not are you going to one of these days, but right now, presently, are you coming to him? To who? The living, the living stone. The idea of stones and rocks are used a lot in Scripture, a lot of different metaphors. And Paul even switches metaphor here in a little bit. But the idea that, um, the, that when, when God refers to himself as a living stone, there's, a, there's, a, there's that, that sense that he is strong. You know, back, back in the 70s, I realized that most of you just rolled your eyes and said, oh, Great an old man telling the story of the 70s. There was a guy who, who made a fortune selling rocks. There was a, he, he, uh, he was from California, and he, he, uh, he, heard, he was in a bar, and he was hearing all of his friends talk about their pets. And what he did is he decided that he would market 
a little rock, and they were called pet rocks. And he took a rock that cost him about a penny, put it in a little box with hay and straw, and then a manual on how to teach your rock. Like, you know, rocks learn to sit pretty easily. Sit. Rocks learn to stay pretty easily. Stay. Some of the other commands were a little harder to teach a rock. You know, you had to, like, roll over. It said, it said that you had to, the, the owner often had to help the rock roll over. Attack. Now, that's another thing you could teach your rock to do, but the owner, again, had to help the rock do that. But there was an idea. The guy made a fortune of just kind of selling rocks because everybody knows a rock is alive. And that was the joke. But God, but God, when he uses this metaphor, he talks about a living rock. Remember, remember when the Pharisees got mad at Jesus and said, tell this crowd to shut up. And he says, I could make these rocks sing my praises. Because everybody knows that rocks aren't alive, but, but God can make rocks sing. God can make what is dead come alive. God can make you and I in our deadness, in our weariness, in our struggles, he can make you and I alive. Because he is a living rock, living stone. Um, first, notice the idea of, of the coming to him. Are you coming to him? Are you weary, tired, struggling, or full of joy? Are you coming to him? Who? The living stone, the living God. And then listen to Paul. I mean, listen to Peter. He says, Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones. Paul uses the very, Peter uses a very analogy that God used for him to call him to be more. You're Peter, the rock. And now he says, You and I are like rocks. We're like living stones. So just a couple of quick thoughts about that, and we'll, um, and we'll think about those together. First, if you would notice that a stone is alive, obviously. Um, there's an aliveness to us. Some people were talking the other day about, do you think there is life on another planet? And sometimes I just wonder if there's life on this planet. If we are really, is there really life so many of us just kind of go through the motions. We, we just kind of go from one day to the next day, and we just try to survive. And, and, go, and life isn't really about really loving others or really living deeply. We, we live in really small stories that don't really matter. We live in little stories that don't seem to have any impact on anything other than just small, small things. And the sense is, is there any life in that? Is there any life when you live such a small story? I think sometimes the hardest thing... Um, quite frankly, the hardest thing for me with, um, with, with an autistic son is his world gets so small. Little, little things become everything. And his life gets so small and his stories become so small. And, 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 it, and it's just so frustrating because it's, it's so difficult for him to see a, a life bigger, a story bigger to live for. A, a, a life that is, um, that, that is, that, that is alive a story that is dynamic, a life that's making a difference. Next, notice that the stone is not only alive, the stone is chosen. Yeah, I love the way that the Bible at this point says, 
It's talking about the stones. It will never be put to shame. Shame's a funny thing. Whenever you're exposed, whenever you're, you're found out, whenever you're found out as wanting, I'm not what I thought they'd be. You'll either go to shame or brokenness. You'll either go to shame. Oh, no, I'm not good enough. I, shame will always take you, ex, when you're exposed... And we're all exposed. We're all a little bit, we're, none of us are who we pretend we are. We're all less than what we pretend we are. We all are just are coming to Christ and he is changing us, but we're not there yet. And in that process of not being there yet, we often find ourselves exposed. I'm not what they think I am. I'm not what I pretend I am. I think one of my most common prayers is that I would become the man I pretend I am. And sometimes that's so far from each one another. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way? But what does it say? That I'm chosen. It says you're chosen. But what is it about these living stones that we are? Not only are we alive, we're living, but we're chosen by him. And as, being, as chosen, there's no shame. What is there instead of shame? Well, you're, when you're exposed, you'll either have shame and become self-absorbed, or you'll become broken and become God-absorbed. You see, exposure always leads to one or the other. Adam was exposed and it led to shame. When we're exposed as who we are before God, what it should leave us to is, is brokenness. Why? Because he's chosen us. He's chosen you. You belong to him. You're his. You're You've been chosen. You know, remember, remember when you were a kid and there was basketball game pickup? And it was just the goal was not to be the last one chosen. It was like, let me not be the last one chosen. Well, feel the opposite of that embarrassment. Feel the opposite of that shame as you are a living stone chosen. Chosen by God. You know... I'll let Jeff talk about all the theological realities of chosenness. But it is, there is something sacred about knowing that it wasn't random and it wasn't about you, but that God saw you and chose you for his own and invited you into his kingdom and says, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're mine. There's something that will change the way you live your life if you realize it wasn't just random but that God chose you as his own and you are his child and he's renamed you and no one can snatch you from his hands and the name that you now have is a secret name because no one else has the authority to rename you because you belong to him. That, that is the idea that you're chosen. See, we're chosen. We're living stones that are alive. We're chosen. But look else. Look what else. We also have purpose. What does it say? It says, We, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to a holy priesthood, that the living stones, that you and I were living stones, we are being built into the temple of God. You and I. You might think you work at at Walmart for a living, and that's fine. You might even have to work at Waffle House. That's fine. 
But you've got greater purpose than just what you do for a living. Because you are a living stone chosen that's being with purpose, that's being built together to create the very temple of God. That's, that'll preach. The idea that your life matters, not because of you, but because you were just a dead stone that he chose that he made come alive, and now he's going to take that and use that to build his kingdom. Now, that's a big story. That's not a little story. That's a grand story of redemption. That's a grand story of hope. That's a story of life. And that's what you're invited to. That's what you're invited to. You see, we're, we're alive in Christ. You were dead. You're alive now. He can make a stone come alive. He can make a stone sing praise. <laughs> you were just out there, but you've been chosen. You belong to him. But you also have purpose. You have purpose. You and the person next to you and the person next to them and the the people in this church are everyone who knows him, everyone who is coming to him. It's a living stone that's being used to build the temple of God, a holy place. (laughs) Wow. That, That can make almost anything you do for a living be exciting. If your real task is so special and so important. So not only are you alive, not only are you chosen, not only do you have purpose, you have position. What does it say? It says, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy and royal priesthood. The imagery from the Old Testament here would be helpful to know, and I know you know all that. The idea of the the way that they would, the whole idea of the temple of God in the Old Testament and the dwelling place of God, and that now you and I are going to be the dwelling place of God because we're the living stones that he's using to build together his temple. And then the metaphor switches just a little bit from the outside to the inside. The idea in the Old Testament, there were really there were priests that had to that had to handle the communication between God and and man. But now you are part of the royal priesthood that you have access to and know Him, and He knows you and speaks to you and calls you by name. And that. Not, not only is he using you to build his temple, to build his kingdom, he now will use you in the kingdom as, as, as part of the royal priesthood. I mean, so not only do you have, not only were you chosen, not only do you have purpose, you have incredible position. Now, I think so often... The only thing I want to know is, is it really true that you'll change me, God? Because sometimes I've been kind of going at this a long time, and I wonder, sometimes I realize, 
I've only come so short, so, so small steps. I wonder, is it true? Is it true? Will he really change me? And then you look at Peter. Impulsive, compulsive Peter. And you see the story of a man who starts to live into his own new name. Still makes his mistakes. But then as he writes down what he knows, he's writing to suffering people and he's reminding them, they too are rocks. How did foolish Peter's life end? Anybody know? It's extra biblical. It's not biblical text we're going with right now, but there's historical document that would suggest that Peter, for 25 years, was the head of the church in Rome. And then under Nero, was crucified. (laughs) But he was such a fool. He was a fool that believed all this. He believed what we just sometimes sing about. He actually believed that he'd been changed, that he was, a, he was not just a, he was a living, chosen ambassador with purpose and position. The historians, and historians tell us that Peter, foolish, foolish Peter was crucified. After 25 years of service in Rome, And he asked to be crucified upside down. Because what he said is he did not deserve to die the way of his Savior. And what we're told is that the executors said okay. And foolish, foolish Peter, the rock. Simple Simon, who became the rock. Simple Simon who who calls you living stones and rocks. Simple Simon who realized that he was coming to Christ, that he was alive and he was chosen and he had purpose and he had position. Simple Simon died upside down on a cross because he knew He did not want to be crucified in the same way that his Savior was. Oh. Oh. That you and I would be such a fool. That you and I would be such a fool. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of Peter. We've been looking at Peter for the last month or so here, thinking about this person. It's so amazing the way that you make Scripture personal, that you tell it full of stories of people, and you weave your theology and your truth through the stories of people's lives. As we look at Peter's life, and as we close the book on Peter's life, would you, would you remind us, would you remind us that you... As we come to you, would you remind us that we are made alive in you? You remind us that you've chosen us, that we have great purpose and great position. And dear Father, like the brother Peter before us, 
would you have us live as such a fool that would believe that it is all true and change us for your glory, change us to be more like you. And we pray these things in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.